Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of Code Commerce 2017 in New York City. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. So Emily, I'm going to start with you because I think so many brands um, are working on trying to, uh, on their content strategy and editorial sort of retroactively, and you, your business started that way. So talk a little bit about how content is a part of your brand and how it all started. Sure. Um, so we started as Into the Gloss. It's a beauty blog that I started uh, out of my apartment back in 2010. The objective of which was to create a new conversation around beauty that was all around personal style and all about um, highlighting the fact that the way women are consuming beauty in today's day and age is primarily through recommendations from her friends. Uh, so Into the Gloss uh, took the approach of interviewing hundreds of the most stylish women from around the world about their beauty routines, their purchasing patterns, um, what resonated with both product and beauty brands, and using Into the Gloss as a platform uh, through which community built around uh, sharing, sharing tips and tricks. Um, and, into, and Glossier was launched uh, three years later in 2014. Um, all direct to consumer. We remain direct to consumer today uh, so that we can tell the stories we want to tell and involve, most importantly, involve our community in everything we do from product development uh, to offline activations um, and deliver the best possible end to end personalized experience for her. And what people don't know is that Sweet Green actually started as a salad blog, too, right? <laughs> salad tips. Um, no, but you, you do a lot with content, too. It's, it's become a big part of your brand and strategy. How, how do you do it? For us, content is just a way for us to tell our story. And, you know, we think about what, what Sweet Green's about. It's, it's about connecting people to real food. And a lot of that starts with trust. And so it's trust and cultural relevancy. And so. It's really important for us to tell our story and through all our different channels. Today we have 75 restaurants where is, our, is the real place where we get to tell our story, but it's our digital connection that gets to continue that relationship with our customers. And how do you do that in a way that's authentic? Because it actually, you know, no lying, like I go there twice a week, it, it actually does feel authentic and real and high quality. How do you do that? I don't think you can fake that. <laughs> I mean, you can try, but I think people can feel it, and you just have to walk the walk. What we're trying to do right now, I think, is this giant experiment still. No one, it's, it's to prove that you can scale real food sourced the right way. And if, no one's really done that at scale. And we're still in the middle of this big experiment. Um, so Emily, you are still you still have a very robust sort of editorial arm. So how do you how do you combine that editorial stuff you do with um, educating your consumers about what Glossier is and you know what the products do and what they stand for? I guess. Mm -hmm. So we see ourselves at Glossier as beauty editors first and foremost. Uh, we also see ourselves as, as activators of conversations. And Into the Gloss uh, remains our single biggest social platform. Many people might call it a blog, but I actually see it as a social platform because it's a two-way conversation. We have a very robust commenting community. Uh, you're able to ask us questions through that channel. Uh, and so I see it as our number one microphone um, through which we can engage our, our community. So. Um, one way we do that is on product development. We are a, uh, we're the first beauty lifestyle brand. We have uh, products across skincare, makeup, um, now body, which just launched yesterday. 
And uh, one of the, that's one of the beautiful things about being digital. You don't have to you know, pigeonhole yourself in one way. We can really respond to our audience and make whatever product she wants us to make. Um, and, and so one of the things that we really rely on is her, our customers as, as co-creators and sort of co-conspirators of our company. We see every one of our customers as an influencer and we're really encouraging her through our content on Into the Gloss to become the expert of her own beauty routine as opposed to relying on actually brands as an expert or even uh, brand appointed experts. Um, we, really, we really see her being uh, in the driver's seat when it comes to electing the, the, the brands and products and behaviors that um, she believes in. And so uh, on Into the Gloss, um, we often ask her for her advice on products that we're working on. We recently, a few weeks ago, asked what would she like in a candle scent and got over you know, a thousand comments on Into the Gloss about you know, the mood of the candle she'd like to smell and that's following two previous posts that we put up in the past couple of years, one on um, what would your dream face wash be? And that resulted in, again, thousands of comments across multiple channels and uh, you know, feedback that we then compiled into a brief for our chemist and, um, and resulted in Milky Jelly Face Wash, which is one of our, our, our top performing products of all time. Uh, does that make you a tech company? This is something that we get, you know, everyone wants the tech valuation, but right. a lot of times they're not actually a tech company. Are you, right. are, are either of you tech companies? I mean, I think it's, it's, tough to, it's tough to say. In many ways, I believe that we're still a content company because I see our products as content. I see them as, um, as objects that, uh, that people purchase and then they give life to. So they're writing their own stories about those comments on their own social media, about that product on their own social media channel. Um, we're a product company first and foremost. I mean, that's our, our business comes from the sales of, of beauty products, but, um, but in many ways I still think that what we do uh, on the whole is inspire women through, through storytelling and um, connect them through uh, content that they're creating. How about Sweetgreen? What's you know? I know you're designing a new box. We've been there was a yeah, so there's a beta can, test of a new box, but so there's, actually, there's more to it. I hope. Yeah. So we consider ourselves a product company as well, not a restaurant company. And the difference is, is we view, view we view our relationship with our customers first, not just about creating these four walls. So it's it's we think about it creating an ecosystem much more than just a restaurant. The restaurant is a really important place for us to create these experiences, mm -hmm. to acquire customers, tell our story, but then bring them into this digital funnel. And it's, I'd say, tech-enabled. Yep. I'd say if you're I not, agree. if you're not, you know, you're not digital first today, you're probably not going to be around for a long time. So it's right. a very important part. We we call it our accelerator, our flywheel, but it's not a technology company. So right. What does that mean practically? Does that just mean that you're Organizing orders on the back end more efficiently or so it's the way we organize orders It's the way we actually look at acquiring customers even like the metrics we we look at aren't about just the store It's about how many customers we have what's the lifetime value what the product mix needs to be and What the access points are for our customers? So it's we kind of think about three buckets. It's product first then story have a tr that creates trust and then access the technology for us is all about access. So whether it's, you know, if you go back a few years, our biggest issue was our line. You know, people loved our food, but restaurants have a, a problem where you have a lot of demand in a very short period of time. So what we did is we re redesigned our stores, what I call it a responsive store design, to create secondary lines with software that manages the way the orders come in as well as a mobile app. 
So it went from us being able to serve 150 people at our peak hour to being able to serve up to 1,000 people in that one hour. And you made this software? We write this own software. Yeah, we, we have a technology team in-house that does this. So how, how big is your tech team? Uh, 12 people, 12, 15 people. Okay, not bad. Yeah. I imagine other <laughs> local salad chains are not going through the trouble of building that order queuing system. I don't think so. <laughs> cool. Uh, one more thing about the line, though. There seems to be like a culture of the line for both of you. I know that when you do pop-ups, there's a lot of demand. Is a line a good thing? It, it can be, right? A is line it, is it free advertising, basically? <laughs> well, this is related. So in beauty, they do a thing called drops, where this is like a new thing where they'll tease, tease a product, it drops, it sells out immediately, and then everyone's scrambling to get it. And so what are your thoughts on that? Because you, you had, in the beginning, like you had such high demand, but now I feel like... Talk to me about that, because sure, that's a thing. Sure, So, I mean, as any, you know, young company, we were, uh, we're three years old in October, um, it's very hard to anticipate demand. We do our best. We have, you know, uh, a certain amount of money we can spend on inventory. Um, we, can do, we can do our best planning, um, and we do, and we launch a product about every six to eight weeks, and we have since day one. Uh, so not following the traditional retail model um, of seasonal collections or being, you know, beholden to a retailer for anything, really. Really, um, allows us to, to, to launch incrementally, much in the same way that content is, is delivered, like a, a magazine, for example. Um, and and uh, we were sold out. We had uh, you know up to sixty thousand people on a wait list for fifty percent of our inventory was, or fifty percent of our product range was sold out in our uh, within you know our first year of business, and that was that was very painful. But um, I certainly think that um, it speaks to the you know integrity of, of our products and what we do that people were willing to wait in the first place. Um, none of it was created demand. None of it was artificial you know um, demand. It's 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 funny. People did jump to that conclusion. I think it's just startup you know growing pains. And and today in our offline experiences, we 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 often do have a, a line, but that again is is really due to capacity. We had no idea that you know. 800 women would go on a Saturday to a sixth floor rickety building in, in, in Soho to, to shop for um, beauty products and to, to engage with, with the brand. So, I mean, He's punting. He doesn't want to talk about the sweet green line. <laughs> we could talk about sweet For us, we, we, we're trying to get rid of our lines. We want to serve people food. We like to say we want to meet people where they are and where they're going. So. Our vision is to have food on demand for you and, and to solve that problem of when I want to eat healthy and when I want to make the right choice, not, not create any friction to doing so. So while the line today may be a good thing for creating hype, right. I think there's so many other ways to do it and we'd rather solve for convenience mm -hmm. and, and feed, you know, feed as many people great real food that makes them feel great and energized than have a line because it looks good. And, and at Glossier, you know, we have far fewer stores than, than Sweetgreen does. We have uh, one. Um, it's, it's, it's in Soho. Uh, and we ship domestically in the U.S. and are just launched in Canada and in the U.K. But, you know, the, the difference, I think, between, um, you know, the, the Sweetgreen store, perhaps, and, and a Glossier store is she can buy these products. You know, we have a very seamless, hopefully, digital experience, and, and she can buy these products uh, and hopefully really understand what works for her online. So the reason she's actually coming to the store or we've learned is less to do with trying on product and more to do with experiencing brand. Mm -hmm. So what are the ways that, what, what kind of experience do you offer then offline? 
Um, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, for us, it's, it's more of the brand come to life. It's interesting that, Jonathan, you mentioned the word ecosystem. We very much um, see Glossier as building a, a world. And in an age where most of us experience uh, trips to Iceland or um, restaurants uh, without actually going to them, but on a two-by-three screen or soon, uh, I don't know how big the X is, but a much bigger screen on, on our Instagram feeds, um, it's a rare thing to be able to see a, a anything, you know, experiencing offline like this is what you know um, this this world means and so for us we think less about you know how do we optimize sales per square foot and more about why would she even leave her house like why would she even go into a store when she can buy it you know and get it get it delivered and so when she comes to a glossier boutique there's every or a glossier you know offline experience and again we have one we're working on on more she can do everything from go into a you know meditation room called the escape room um, that closes and is a multi-sensory you know experience uh, through to um, we've had some customers order pizza because they want to meet their friends like on our on our deck so it's interesting the glossier um, um, uh, fan or customer will actually, we encourage her to spend more time in our experiences as opposed to getting her in and out, you know, like, and buy something right, right away. Yeah, I believe that's the future of consumer brands. It's, it's hyper experiential and hyper convenient and everything in the middle is going to go away. You have to give your consumer a reason to go outside right. because everything else is going to be at your fingertips, delivered to your door. Mm -hmm. And so for us today, our experience is about community. It's about going and feeling with your five senses. It's going and seeing, you know, going walking into a store and hearing the music, mm -hmm. smelling. smelling the food, yeah. seeing the food being, you know, a lot of people ask what's different about Sweetgreen? Well, what's different is the way we source the food and the fact that we make our food from scratch every day in every kitchen. Everything we make is made there. Every dressing, every protein, all the lettuces are peeled, washed, and chopped there. And so, showing that theater there, sitting on the bleacher seating, seeing your friend, you know, all tasting something you haven't tasted before. Mm -hmm. And that's the, whole, that's the point of a, of a store. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if it's, you know... If it's you just can, about procurement, you can do that. Yeah, there's going to be so many more efficient ways. And, right. you know, I think for us it's challenging because it's fresh, perishable product, but we're going to solve for that. So the stores are going to be these community centers of storytelling. Uh, I'd love to hear about what's challenging about growth for both of you because uh, obviously you have to grow, but imagine you have kind of different constraints for, for each of your businesses. What's, what's driving you crazy right now? Um. <laughs> I think I think certainly it's it's a long list of things that that uh, any CEO <laughs> drives any CEO crazy. Um, mostly, it's just wanting to do everything all at once. So I think being disciplined is is challenging. We have international demand. Uh, over 50% of our readers on Into the Gloss and 50% of our followers on uh, Glossy's Instagram are from other countries. I think in today's day and age, if you're a brand on Instagram, you are inherently a global brand, whether or not your product is available to that customer in Indonesia or wherever it may be. Um, there's a lot of regulatory with, with beauty, as I'm, I'm sure you know, there, are, there, there is with, with food or um, anything you're ingesting or putting onto your skin. And so uh, um, uh, uh, realizing our global ambitions, I think, is, is in a way that will not um, differ in customer experience from the superior experience we offer today, um, that, that is a challenge. When, when to go where um, and how. 
My, my new travel hobby is finding the sweet green clone in every city that does not have a sweet green. <laughs> I was really green. impressed that you, you've been to all of I've, them. I've been to all of them. There's one <laughs> in Atlanta that's, that literally copied your Kale Caesar, just changed one letter in the name. Everything's exactly the same. There's one in Seoul, Korea. Um, how do, do you, are you there's, obsessed with the clones or, or are you just trying to grow at your own pace? It's flattering, but there's nothing we, I mean, in the, there's certain ones that we try to do something about to protect our brand, but there's certain ones we can't. There's one that's funny. We like to say our, part of the lifestyle we promote is this idea of passion and purpose. So there's one in Tokyo that copied everything we do, and the only thing they change is it's passion x vibe. Ooh. <laughs> Instead of passion purpose? Yeah. So, but in terms of the growing pains, I think it's really interesting. We just had our 10-year anniversary last month. And every, I think, three to four years, you have to break what you had to kind of start fresh. And for us, the challenges are always around people. It's always around how do you, how do you create the right teams to scale? And I, the, the analogy that I, I'm feeling for myself today is you know, what, what makes a great entrepreneur is very different than what makes a great CEO when you're scaling a company. And so a lot of, I think a lot about you know, my mindset has been shifting from, okay, not what is the answer? How can I figure it out myself? But how do I create a team or a culture that, can, that I can bring along the journey to do the work together? And it's, it's a mindset shift. And that's why I think you don't see a lot of entrepreneurs you know, make that transition. So um, both of you, talking about lines out the door, both of you have a sort of obsessed audience of customers, I guess. So how do you harness them to evangelize for you? Because I see young women all the time in New York City with Glossier stickers on their phone. You know, friends are constantly telling me, Cheryl, stop complaining about the line. Just download the app, get the app. It's so great. You know, so how do you harness this sort of customer um, obsession with you guys to help you? Um, so, I mean, beauty as a category is, is hugely shareable. I, I think it's the second biggest category on YouTube after tech unboxing videos. Um, so inherently it lends itself, as is food, right? So inherently it lends itself very well to, I think, evangelism. You want to share within your group of 5, 10, 50, 100, a million followers your favorite restaurant or, you know, your favorite mascara. Um, for us, you know, I think it's something like 79, 80% of our growth to date has been not through paid marketing, but through, through owned, earned, or peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. So it's really been through um, people evangelizing the brand. Uh, because we know who every single one of those people are, being a, a, a data-driven you know, tech company in many ways, um, we're able to incentivize her and, and reward her in, to varying degrees to, for for promoting Glossier. Um, so we're, we're in the early stages of developing a, a rep program through which our, our biggest uh, evangelists um, are, are brought on to our platform and are actually able to make pages on Glossier.com wherein they're leaving their reviews and, and talking about how they're using the product. So you could literally have something like Glossier.com backslash Cheryl uh, and have that link as something you could put into your Instagram bio or tweet or send in an email um, and reach all of the people in your circle who 
who, who like your opinion. And what's been the most interesting about that is um, not so much that we're creating new evangelists, but really that we're creating a conduit through which they can become closer to us and, and be, have more access to us. Um, so the, the rewards and the sort of incentive structures that we've spent a lot of time thinking about, um, she, the, the women who are, who are participating are actually much more interested in uh, experiential rewards or in um, you know, working closer with us or early product access than they are in any kind of monetary reward, which I think really speaks to the experiential age that we're in. Are there salad influencers to harness? There, there actually are. And, and our approach, uh, it, it's similar. We, we want to meet people where they are, and, and our food is fuel. So we try to find communities where we can work with these influencers or, or brand ambassadors to just provide the fuel for what they're doing, whether that's a run club, a yoga studio. A, lo a lot of it is in fitness. A lot of it is in beauty, where our, cus our customers naturally are. And just just creating shareable moments, great products and shareable moments. And you know, we have specific tactics, whether it's on our app, you, know, you can make a salad, name the salad, share it on your social network, and your friends can then go order that app. There's things like that that we try to think about everything we do. How can we make it social and shareable? But it starts by creating something that's emotional, mm -hmm. creating great products that, are emotion that, that create an emotional connection that creates trust. And that, that's what virality is mm -hmm. at the end of the day. That's, it starts with something that people love. You've also done some stuff with you know, micro, I don't know, you could call them micro celebrities with the squirrel chef, Jessica Coslow. You've, you've done some other things like that. Do those work? Yeah, those, those are our, our drops. Those are like <laughs> our product collabs. Uh, so, we, so we do a few product collabs a year. And again, they're our way of telling a story and having some, some connection to the local community. So we've done co collaborations with, you know, one of our first ones was, was with David Chang, and it was when we were, we were testing hot sauce. And so we wanted, to do, you know, we wanted to do a salad with him to tell that story. One of our big ones that we bring back every year was with Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar was uh, headlining, was actually not even headlining, it was in 2013 he played our festival and really actually took a liking to the brand, was started Sorry, wearing- Sorry, festival? You have a festival? <laughs> We, have, we also, we believe What's in experience. We have a festival called Sweet Life Festival. Okay. Um, which we can talk about nice. as well. So, so uh, Kendrick Lamar was, head, was coming back to headline the festival in 2015. And so what we asked to do is to make a salad with him. And we called it the Beats Don't Kill My Vibe Salad. And, I remember that one. <laughs> and it was, it was a delicious salad. But again, it was just a way of you know, creating this cultural relevancy, this moment. We created another salad about two years ago with Dan Barber around Wasted. And this one was a little bit more about telling a food waste story. Um, so it's this way of us connecting Hold to- Hold on, explain what that was. They took all their trash and turned it into- <laughs> it, it was- Kind of. Not, not quite. Not quite. It was, it was using all the different parts of the food that we had. So instead of you, you know, throwing away parts of it, figuring out ways to reuse, the, reuse things that you would throw away and cook it and make it delicious. Like kale stems, yep. stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but that's really smart. So everyone needs a festival and they need a stunt salad and then you're golden, right? Um, and in the beauty industry, you know, has, uh, historically big brands, you know, sign a celebrity ambassador or whatever, someone famous. Um, 
But so how do you work with celebrities? I know you were just at, the brand was just in Toronto at the film festival. Um, so how, how do you work with celebrities, influencers, notables in a non-traditional way? Yeah, so um, traditionally we, well, backing up, I mean, we really do believe that every single one of our customers is an influencer. Um, to, to my point earlier, you, every one of you in the audience is influential to your group of friends. Um, that's hopefully why, why you're friends. They care about what you, what you think. Um, so, so for us, we, we treat our, you know, every one of our customers no differently than we would a celebrity. Like, there's no special treatment for, you know, I mean, Kim Kardashian loves our soothing face mist. She Instagrammed it. We didn't pay her for that. That's, she, she just uses the product. So, um, so we, we don't believe in the celebrity endorsement um, model. Uh, we believe in, in, as you said, creating really high integrity product that um, speaks for itself and that people want to, uh, to, to talk about. Um, one thing we also very much believe in is, is beauty in real life. And so um, the idea that, you know, uh, uh, that a celebrity kind of who's all done up knows more than you as the customer does about your own face, given the age we're in where you can quickly look up, you know, how to do a, a cat eye on YouTube and learn how to, or, you know, read Sephora reviews about a product you're interested in and learn from people you've never even met before, but who have similar skin to you about, you know, a product. I think that those are all far more uh, uh, informative ways of, of making purchasing decisions than um, a celebrity, you know, on, on an ad. That's how, that's how I shop. Uh, we're going to take audience questions in a minute, so please line up if you have one. Uh, it would not be code commerce if I did not ask a payments nerd question. Uh, this one goes out to Jason Del Rey, wherever he is. So you went cashless. How's that experiment been, and what have you learned? Cashless has been a really good experiment for us. We, exper we actually tested it for a year before rolling it out, and we did it for a few reasons. Number one, safety of our employees. Having cash in our stores created a lot of danger for our employees, and we would have handful of a handful of robberies per year um, to speed we're trying to get rid of those lines for you so the, the going uh, fully fully credit card or app allowed us to move a lot quicker um, and third uh, it's cleaner so when you have people handling food and then handling cash it just created a food safety thing that we just didn't want to deal with and lastly we do want to encourage people to get onto the mobile experience so that we can learn more about them and their eating behaviors and so we can create better products. So, so far it's been good and it's interesting to see now it's become a trend in food. We were kind of the first ones to do it and all of a sudden we're seeing restaurants all over the country go cashless. Great. Question over here. Hi. Uh, I have a question for Emily. Uh, so first, I'm really inspired by what you guys did. Uh, all my friends love your product, so is that um, my question is, as you guys grow and you add more customers and more ambassadors, do you ever worry that some ambassadors aren't portraying your brand the way that you would want them to portray your brand? And how do you keep a pulse on that with so many, with everyone being an influencer? Yeah, um, I mean, we're, we're pretty early in on that, but it's something we definitely think about. We go back to the idea that uh, we really want beauty to be democratized. And we really do see our products as um, starting points for interpretation. So there actually isn't a brand control, uh, a brand controlled environment that we want our products to exist in. We see Glossier as just one person and one, you know, portrayal of the product. 
but that actually as soon as that product hits your hands, you are the controller of you know, that product and what you like about it, what you think about it, how you want that to fit into your cabinet or on your dresser or in your shower. Um, and the pictures you take and the things that you say about it, it would be very naive, uh, if not crazy, for us to think that we have any say over that. So rather than trying to fight it or have a brand knows best approach to you know, the, the, the way that our customers are experiencing our product, we actually just really encourage um, a totally diverse uh, and, and um, uh, in much more inclusive approach to a wide variety of stories being told about Glossier. And, and I, I told you this right when I saw you, but your inclusive new ad campaign, if you guys haven't seen it, is really incredible. Thank so. you. Yeah, we launched our, our body, uh, body Hero range yesterday with uh, five of our friends. So interestingly, you know, no celebrities yeah. uh, again. Um, very interesting. Check out at Glossier if you want to yeah. see it. But it, I mean, I was inspired because it was provocative, but provocative with a message. You know, it had a, a reason for it. And so. Thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Over there. Uh, this is a question for Jonathan. You talked about connections and relationships with your customers first, and it really does feel that way in your stores. So I'm just wondering, how do you ensure your frontline staff buys into that mindset, and what does that training program look like? Great question. So our people are our most important ingredient, and for us it starts with our values. It starts with the profile of like how we look to bring people into the Sweet Green family. So we look for people that are hardworking, coachable, curious, and humble. And so start with that, and then there's a training program that starts with the mission. So when you start working at Sweetgreen, it's not straight to what do, what, how do I chop onions, it's let's go see a farm. Let's go see what this is all about, why we're doing this, and then we get into the role-based training. And we, th we think about everything through the lens of our core values, and we talk about these ideas of win-win-win, keeping it real, making an impact, adding the sweet touch. And we, we really, like, that's how we create a family. And so it starts with that, and if we, we believe that if we treat our employees well, we treat our team members well, they'll treat our, cust our customers well. So it's, the, I think, the hardest thing we do. We have about 4,000 employees, but it's, it's the most important thing that we do. One over here. Uh, payments, follow, uh, payments question follow-up for you, Jonathan. I'd like to know, has it made a difference to your bottom line either way, going uh, cashless? And secondly, do you ever worry about excluding people, perhaps low-income people or older people? Uh, both great questions. Yeah, so in terms of the bottom line, we have no real improvements there. And just the only thing is no more theft, so that's good. Uh, in terms of the exclusion, it's something that we talk a lot about. And we're working on a solution to have an option for those people who, don't, who do not have a credit card. Um, today, the communities that we're in, most people do, um, but we, we, there, is a, a, there is a very vocal group of people, whether it's because of them or because of, you know, because of this wanting to be inclusive that we're very, very conscious of. And so it is something that we're working on to create a way, essentially, where people can, with cash, have some sort of digital payment. Hi, my question's for Emily. My name is Susie. Huge fan. My daughter and I both share the milky jelly, so that's the cleanser. Um, my question is about um, content. You know, saying that one is a content company, I think, is a 
popular phrase. And so when I think about um, Glossier and I think about the competitive set, is it L'Oreal or is it Refinery29 or is it both? And where do you see growth? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess conceptually, I think of us as, as content, uh, but you know, really we're, we're a product. We're a product business. Um, that's just the artist in me and the former journalist who wants to <laughs> No, But um, I, I, uh, I don't necessarily see there being you know, competition for us, um, because there are very few beauty companies uh, that have been created yet that are digitally native um, and, and involving the customer at the level that we are in, in, in the co-creation of, of the brand. Um, but you know, th that being said, I think, I, I don't know that I would position what we're doing alongside either of, of I, I wouldn't position us next to content companies or those traditional product companies because um, I don't think either of them are, are involving the, you know, again, their, their reader or the, or the user um, in, in such a way that we are. Great. Um, with oh. regards to opportunity, I think, to be a voice in women's lives as mm -hmm. a gateway to beauty and lifestyle, I think Glossier is just a perfect brand for that. Well, so. thank you. Yeah, I mean, I like to see us as, you know, stirring the pot. Like, I, I, again, I like to see the, the ideas that we're presenting, be it, you know, the product that has the customer, you know, baked into it, to the, to the articles that we're, you know, featuring on Into the Gloss about, you know, different women's routines. I think Into the Gloss and the top shelves really created a, a new behavior in many ways on how women and were uh, celebrating and merchandising their own um, their bathrooms and bringing that out into the open, right? And really making beauty something that's not just okay to talk about, you know, and, and post about, but make it something um, uh, that is a way of, of expression and should not be treated in a sort of frivolous or, or, or second second hand way. So, um, yeah, if, if nothing else, I hope that we're encouraging her to become uh, her own expert, not just of her beauty routine, but of, of her, her whole world. Thank Great. you. Jonathan, Emily, thank you so thank much. You. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, in which Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. You can find all these shows and more at recode.net or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>